It may seem that a series entitled People to Avoid may appear a little negative, might be a little kind of a downer, but but I was really quite surprised, uh, even astonished, at how many times the Scripture, uh, even in the New Testament alone, uh, tells us that there are people from which we should turn away, there are people that we should avoid, there are people we should just leave, um, uh, and people even to the point we should not even eat with them. There are people that we should not invite into our home. And so it seemed like a worthy endeavor to kind of put some work into that, uh, do some exegesis around that, bring it out, and then share that with you. Uh, we're always concerned that our spiritual health be um, protected and can, and that we contain those things that would uh, affect us. And so this series, People to Avoid, is uh, intended not so much to just put the emphasis on the negative, but it is intended to help you identify and discern good from evil. Uh, there's a lot of religiosity masking as Christianity, and so uh, these things can be a real detriment to you and to your family. So it's it's a worthy uh, a worthy series. I hope you um, have enjoyed the first episode called "Beware the Almost Christian." Not everybody is worthy of your fellowship. Was the um, primary point there? Uh, some people uh, have the same uh, goals and affections of, uh, as those in the world, as unbelievers, but maintain a, uh, a kind of a uh, appearance of Christianity. They may be churchgoers, they may have a, uh, activities in the church, and uh, may even be in, in ministry, but they're not even Christians. They have yet to come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. So, so those are the things we have to discern, uh, not only for our sake, but for the people with whom we come in contact. Clearly, if someone is an almost Christian, and you can discern that, uh, you can be of help to them. Maybe you can share the gospel with them in a much fuller way. So it isn't always just negative. So today I want to talk with you about being aware and be and to beware of blind guides. That is, Christian church leaders who will lead you into a pit. And that comes out of Matthew chapter 15. So let's go ahead and read the text. Matthew chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. Quote, Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, quote, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. End quote. Jesus replied, Quote, and why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, saying, quote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. End quote. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them 
but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, Explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands do not defile them. End quote. Well, let's take a little look at this then, because right in the core of it, Jesus is telling his disciples to leave the Pharisees and the scribes. Leave them. Now, that was a big deal. You and I have 2,000 years worth of history behind us. We've become very familiar with this uh, conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees and the scribes. But at the time, you have to realize, back in the moment, the disciples were good Jews. Peter even was a traditionalist. And Peter and the disciples, they had grown up in the religious structure of Jerusalem with the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees and uh, the high priest, the temple worship, the sacrifices, the feasts, all that was part of being a people of the law under the Old Covenant. And so this whole religious structure was just part and parcel uh, on a cellular level of the Jewish mind, the Jewish way of life. And now Jesus is telling his disciples, simply leave them which is really fascinating. Now let's take a little closer look at who these men are. It says that the, some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, or scribes, came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't eat with their, with their excuse me, they don't wash with their hands before they eat. Now, these men had come from Jerusalem up to Galilee for the specific purpose of finding Jesus and finding something wrong with his ministry. They were there to uh, accuse. They were there to examine and deal with this upstart rabbi from Nazareth and his disciples. They were the religious authorities of the day. The people spoke highly of them. They received accolades and uh, comments of rabbi, rabbi in the marketplace. They held the chief seats in the synagogues. These were men that demanded respect. They were, after all, in Jewish society, considered to be the uh, most righteous of the righteous. So they come to Galilee, they find Jesus and, his, and the disciples, and make this charge 
against Jesus of transgression. Why do your disciples break or transgress at the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, we're talking here not about hygiene, but about a ceremonial washing, a ritual washing. Now, what was expected, and this is very important, what was expected was that Jesus would apologize. Jesus would stop and say, oh, yeah, I'm, you're right. Gee, I'm sorry. I, you caught us dead in the, in the act. Right in the thick of it. I, I, will, I will make sure that from now on my disciples wash their hands before they eat. You're correct. I missed that. I didn't realize they weren't doing that, sirs. And uh, it was also accepted that, that the, very likely that the disciples, too, would say, well, we, we guess we'd better get our act together here. Uh, and even encourage Jesus to realize that if your ministry is going to be worth anything, Jesus, you're going to have to find some way of getting along with the Pharisees and the scribes. I mean, they're the authorities. They have, they're the ones who have to give you approval. And if that, without their approval, your ministry is not going to have much popularity. So we better find a way to uh, find some common ground with these men at least and make sure we have their sanction. So it was quite astonishing then when Jesus didn't make amends, he didn't correct his disciples. Instead, he turned and said to the scribes and the Pharisees, why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? Wait, wait, whoa, wait a minute here. <laughs> yeah, Jesus is turning the tables. You're not here to examine us. We're here to examine you, Jesus. But Jesus has turned the tables here, and he's done it in a rather stark manner, meaning that he is he's not speaking, he's not debating about their tradition per se. He's saying that their tradition, far from helping them keep the law, is actually breaking the law. Jesus is setting their tradition over and against the word of God. Verse uh, 4, For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. It was dangerous ground to even speak poorly about your father and mother. Cursing your father and mother could require that you be put to death under the law. So Jesus is making a very clear contrast here between their tradition and the word of God and saying, you are choosing your tradition over the word of God. But you say, if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father and mother is devoted to God. In other words, they would take money, these men would take money that would normally and could have been used to help their elderly parents. Remember, there was no social safety net economically back then. You were dependent upon your children and your family when you got old and unable to care for yourself for your very life and your sustenance. But these men had used their tradition and their supposed vow to this money, declare this money as a gift to God in Mark chapter 7, Mark uses the word korban. 
to say, no, this money is gifted to God. It's dedicated to God. Therefore, it might have been used to help you, but I can't do it now. I, I, I've devoted it to God. But here's the kicker. They retained access to the money. They retained the use of the money. So when they devoted this money to God, they didn't go down to the temple and put it in the treasury. They just set it aside, declared it as gifted to God, as money under a vow, but they retained access to it and even retained use of the money. But because they had declared it as a gift to God, they couldn't use it for someone else, for their parents. In other words, they were using their tradition to simply um, mask their greed and selfishness. And there's nobody better than Jesus to expose that. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. So Jesus completely explodes their motives and their practices. You hypocrites. Emphatic. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. I mean, it was going on in Isaiah's day as well. But Isaiah also looked down to the centuries and saw it happening in Jesus' day. Isaiah is prophesying about these people. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And as we will see, what the issue here is today between a blind guide and following Jesus is the issue of the heart. At the heart of the matter is this matter of the heart. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. This is a matter of blind eyes and defiled hearts. Mere lip service worship. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. See, this, this is what happens. Maybe this rings a bell with you. Maybe you are aware of the fact that there are Christian leaders today who also set up traditions regarding money, the most common of which is the mandatory tithe. I once sat in a, um, a uh, service. It was actually a membership, new members service, membership meeting. There were probably 150 people there. It was a mega church. And listen to this pastor get up and ramble on for 45 minutes using and twisting, distorting scripture to justify the mandatory tithe at his church. 10% of your gross income. He went into great detail why you should use the gross of your income and not the net. Because after all, it's devoted to God. You use the same language. It's committed to God. You don't want to place the IRS or your 401k or Social Security uh, over God. So you don't give off the net, you give off the gross. You place God first. Now, if that puts you in a position where you're not able to care for yourself or pay the rent, all that, don't worry about that because God will bless you. Even if that means in your budget that you're, 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 you can't pay your bills, don't worry about that. Just pay it anyway because, because that's how God works. He, he, he asks that you walk by faith and he will bless you and you'll be fine. Listen, in pastoral counseling, I've been around the block long enough over the years 
to realize that that's not how it works. How many single mothers are struggling to make ends meet and living with the religious shame of being told that if they're not tithing, their finances are under a curse? How many people go to a Christian financial planner and are told that they have to set aside the money first to give to the church and then they can talk about giving to their parents or to their children or their retirement? This is nothing new, folks. Religious tradition has for centuries, thousands of years, masked corruption, human corruption, greed, So Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. He is telling them that their external piety doesn't save them from anything. It's what's internal. He is telling them, Listen and understand. He is capturing their attention. He is taking this crowd, as well as his disciples, and he's drawing their attention away from the presence of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who had come up to Jerusalem in their official capacity, most likely would draw a crowd. And Jesus is calling their attention away from those men and saying, listen and understand me. That's what I want for you today as well. Beware of blind guides. And what makes them blind guides? Well, what makes them blind guides is the fact that they don't understand their own spiritual condition. They really believe. They really believe that because they have enough credential, they have enough tradition, they have enough external piety, they have enough righteous things that they do, that even their dietary laws show how righteous they are, how they dress, how much money they give. All these things are that which prove that they're righteous. In the meantime, Inwardly, they're ravenous wolves, ravenous wolves, whitewashed tombs, looking really good on the outside, but inside they're full of dead men's bones. So what makes them blind guides? They can put on a good appearance. They can be convincing. They can be charismatic. They can be charming. They can be endearing. They can even speak with an eloquence that is impressive. They can show their grasp of Scripture. They can be good Bible teachers. They can be entertaining in their presentation. But what makes them blind guides is that they don't understand that redemption occurs from the heart outward, inside out. Well, apparently the disciples were nervous at all of this. It looks to me like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, after hearing Jesus, turned to the disciples and said, Listen, we're offended by this. Well, that made them nervous. And so the disciples came and asked 
Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? In other words, Jesus, as I said a few minutes ago, Jesus, we need, we need to be careful here. These, these are the religious authorities, and you're trying to get your ministry going here. You better be careful. You're going to need their sanction. You're going to need their approval. If you're going to get the people to listen to you, if you're going to have any credibility with the people, you're going to have to get the approval and sanction and the blessing of these religious authorities. And here you are, you're offending them. So they asked Jesus, do you, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? There's a note of concern in their voice. Once again, Jesus stuns them with his reply. Every plant that my Heavenly Father has not planted would be pulled up by the roots. Every plant that my Heavenly Father did not plant will be rooted up by its roots. Now, remember the context. Remember the backdrop here. Place yourself back in the first century. This was astonishing. Imagine the impact of being told that your most highly esteemed religious leaders are in fact blind guides who only lead people into the pit, that they are a plant a wild plant that doesn't belong in God's garden. God did not authorize them. God did not plant this. And it will one day soon be uprooted and tossed into the fire, is the implication here. Every plant that my Heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. They are not of God. Listen, the religious structure of Jerusalem at that time at the time of our text, was no longer the religion of Abraham and the patriarchs. It no longer represented the religion of Moses and the prophets. It had become, had degraded into an apostate form of Judaism. An external, quantitative piety that put no focus on the heart no focus on character. No focus on the truth. It was a system of religious corruption through and through. Later on in Matthew 23, Jesus levels no less than eight curses against it. Woe to you scribes and Pharisees. Hypocrites, he says repeatedly. And yet, by all appearances, if you were a first century Jew just going about your daily life, when one of these rabbis, one of these Pharisees, or one of these teachers of the law would come walking by, you were to step aside and give them reverence. Rabbi, Rabbi. When you walked into the synagogue, you would see that these men were sitting in the chief seats. If one of them stood up to begin to expound on the law, people listened with a hushed reverence. And yet Jesus says, 
They're a wild, foreign plant in God's garden. Leave them, he says. Some translations read, leave them alone. Here in the NIV, it's leave them. They are blind guides. And remember, what makes them blind? They are blind to their own spiritual need. They're blind to their own spiritual condition. And, therefore, they're going to keep you blind to your own spiritual condition. The most important thing a genuine Christian pastor, teacher, evangelist can do for you is help you point out to you through the scripture your need for Jesus Christ. Point out to you your need to identify and be in union with Christ. To help you understand that you cannot save yourself. That you are utterly reliant upon God's provision in His Son. But if you're caught up in a tradition where it's all external religiosity, then you're following blind guides. If the emphasis on your church is bigger, better, more success, built upon your uh, tithing and giving and attendance and support, and they're puffing you up rather than helping you humble yourself before God and learn to love Christ with all your heart, soul, mind, and body, to walk in the joy of fellowship with a triune God, then you're following blind guides. And you will end up in the pit with them one day. Now the fact that this is the difference here, this text is the difference between setting forth the difference between external piety and heartfelt religion in Christ is further expounded upon in verse 15 when Peter says, explain the parable to us. Interesting that Jesus responds to him, isn't it? Are you still so dull? This was a problem, especially for Peter. You might recall that in Acts chapter 10, Peter was hungry one day and he went up on the roof and he had a vision. And a curtain came down in which there was all kinds of animals that Jewish people should not participate and not, should not eat. But a voice from heaven said, kill and eat. And Peter protested, no, no, never, Lord, I will never do that. Well, this happened repeatedly till Peter finally got the message, okay, I get it. And then he, one thing led to another where he ended up at Cornelius' house, a Gentile. And he finally proclaimed, I get it. I'm not supposed to call anyone unclean. So he, he, he gave a brief presentation of the gospel. The Holy Spirit came down upon Cornelius and his associates, his friends and family. And the Gentile mission began. took a while, but Peter finally got it until he didn't again. Because in Galatians chapter 2, Paul speaks of a time when the Gentile mission had begun with the headquartered in Antioch. And Peter was there. Barnabas was there. Paul had yet to come. And the church at Antioch had 
been comprised and was comprised of Jew and Gentile, now one new humanity in Christ, one new man in Christ, eating together, fellowshipping together, worshipping together, brothers and sisters in Christ, no Jew, no Gentile, only one new man in Christ. But then again, we learn in Galatians chapter 2 that another group of men came up from Jerusalem, this time men who were professing to be Christian leaders, probably former Pharisees or even were current Pharisees, were still remained Pharisaical, remained scribes, teachers of the law, but now they were professed Christians. But they came up to Antioch with the same mentality. And they began to tell the Jewish Christians, you should not be eating with these Gentiles. And Peter was intimidated by him. And he began to pull away from the Gentiles and began to eat only with the Jews. Even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy until Paul arrived. And Paul said, Peter, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're not standing upright with the gospel. You're allowing yourself to have these men come up from Jerusalem and present another gospel which is worthy only of an apostolic cursing, a double apostolic cursing, Peter. Why are you falling into line with these guys? So Peter was a traditionalist. Peter had a hard time understanding. Paul had to rebuke him at Antioch and bring him back into the to the uh, integrity with the gospel. So Jesus, in our text, turns to Peter and says, Are you still so dull? Of course, he was speaking as a spokesman for the, all the disciples at that point. And Jesus asked them, Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? This was huge, folks. This sounds like, of course, to you and I, as 21st century believers, we, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Whatever you eat goes into the stomach and out of the body. We don't have dietary laws in Christianity. We like to eat right, we like to eat healthy, at least that's, we should, but we don't have our spirituality or our standing with God tied to a, a diet. But these people, that was a practice. Dietary laws were a big thing under the Old Covenant. It was ingrained into their thinking. It was on a cellular level that there are just some things a Jew doesn't eat. And now Jesus says, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes in the stomach and it comes out of the body? That was Under the old covenant, it was simply analogous. It was simply a metaphor. It was simply telling you that there are ways to defile yourself. Don't do these things. Separate. It was about separation until the new covenant could come. Until the time and the era of the spirit where circumcision would be of the heart and no longer of the flesh. And defilement, in this case, had nothing more to do any longer with what you ate. But it was the things that now came out of a person's mouth, come from the heart. The heart is the issue. These defile them. 
For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. So what do we learn today? We've learned that there are traditionalists. There is human rules, human traditions, and believe me, folks, dear Christian, there is no shortage of these kind of rules and traditions today within Christianity. If you are living under a system that's telling you that tithing of your 10% of your gross income is mandatory under the Bible, you're living under a man-made tradition. If you're being told that Sunday is the Sabbath and that you must come back to church on Sunday night to be prove yourself to be among the faithful, you're living under a human tradition. If you're being told that you better wear a suit and tie to church or a dress or else you're not honoring God, you're living under a human tradition. If you're being told that you better read, only read the King James Bible, or somehow you are unfaithful to God, then you're living under a human tradition, and the list goes on and on and on. Be careful. Beware. Human tradition always has to do with externals. Human tradition can't even touch the human heart. Only the grace of God can change the heart. Only the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ can transform the heart. Remember, circumcision is of the heart. And we worship by the Spirit, not by the flesh. So beware of these blind guides, and if you're part of them now, be careful. If you're living under the, the lash of human tradition, you are obligated. The Lord Jesus, not me, it's not Rick Peterson, it's the Lord Jesus himself who's telling you, leave them. Verse 14, leave them. They are blind guides. And then he warns you, if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Beware of blind guides. Beware of the spiritual pit. That's the only place they will take you. And if you are in the pit now, get out. Reject your tradition. Step out of it. Remember that it is by grace that you are saved, alone, through faith, the gift of faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work on your behalf alone. There's nothing you can do to add to that or take away from it. Justification, acceptance with God is by grace through faith in the finished work of Christ alone. And after that, the whole Christian life is about becoming more and more like Jesus. In thought, word, and deed. Listen, God's paramount purpose in your life as a believer is to conform you into the image of his Son. In character, thought, word, and deed. Not to have you become some stuck-in-the-mud traditionalist laboring under human rules 
that will lead you only to a pit. Get out, leave them, and beware, for they are everywhere. Amen.